Hi, this is Dee Wallace, and you're listening to the Then Is Now podcast. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. What kind of a sick school is this? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to celebrate from in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you have a hole. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to another fabulous episode of Then Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor. On this show, we strive to bring you movies, TV shows, books, comics, places, and people that you may not have heard of or may have somehow gotten past you. Our guest today is an actress who has been in a slew of films and TV shows, many of which you should see. I know a good portion of our listeners are horror fans, and you'll be delighted when you hear some of the horror projects that she's worked on, as well as many other films and shows that you need to know about. She's been acting for well over 30 years, and I'm sure everyone listening out there has seen at least one thing she's been in. So sit back and listen to my interview with this amazing actress. We had a fun interview, and you'll never forget her afterwards. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food fight! Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Woo woo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good, sign this. 
Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go play and have fun now. Folks, our guest today has had a long and amazing career that continues on with some impressive work. She's the sister of actress Michelle Pfeiffer and the sister-in-law of powerhouse producer David E. Kelly. Her movie credits include Moving Violations, Into the Night, Vamp, The Horror Show, Sandman, Frankie and Johnny, Falling Down, AVH, Alien vs. Hunter, and Blue Demon, just to name a few. She's been on such TV shows as Friends, The Dead Zone, Wings, Seinfeld, Hotel, CSI, and played Sybil Shepard's daughter on the show Sybil, as well as being in the fan-favorite episode titled Jump the Shock on the hit horror series Supernatural. Our horror fan listeners should note that she was also in the 80s made-for-horror TV comedy The Midnight Hour. In 2010, she took some time off from acting, and during that period, she earned two degrees, one in psychology and the other in social work. Not only is she an actor and producer, she has now added social worker to her resume. Her latest TV series, Big Sky, on which she plays the character Denise and is produced by David E. Kelly, can be seen on the ABC network and is enjoying rave reviews. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the show Ms. Dee Dee Pfeiffer. Hi, Roger. Thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for being on the show. Glad to have you. Thank you. Well, you you brought me through memory lane. I'm like, God, I've been busy for the last 30 plus years. (laughs) (laughs) So many, so many cool things. And I'll I'll try not to keep you too, too long, but I have like a a thousand questions and I pushed a whole bunch of them to the side. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you start at the beginning? Tell us, you know, what led you into acting? Oh boy. Um, for those who've heard me interview before, I'm sorry. I'm going to give you this, the, uh, yeah. the cutter. They're like, Oh God, is she going to say that again? Yes. I'm going to say that again. Um, basically I worked since I was a little girl. Um, I'm 57 years young. And back in the day when I was young, we didn't have things like child labor. You just, if you wanted something, you worked. Okay. Right. And, um, yeah, I come from blue collar worker dad from North Dakota. And so, um, I was working all these odd jobs, very young. And when I was, <laughs> Yeah, really. I look back and go, oh, wow, I was doing some major dangerous stuff. But by the time I was 18 years old, I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? College was never something that was even mentioned in my family. I was actually the very first one later in life to go to college in my immediate family. So at 18, my sister was doing this movie called uh, Scarface, just a little movie. And (laughs) I was like, hey, Sal, you know, I think I want to be an actor. And she's like, hey, look, just get your butt into an acting class. Don't even think about a headshot. Don't even think about an agent. Nothing. Just go into an acting workshop. Here's the name of a good one and see if you even like it. Well, smash cut two years later i'm still in this acting class because i suck i'm so bad i'm so bad i can't remember my lines i'm stuttering i know people were like oh don't pair me with that girl why is she even bothering acting she's the worst and i was a hardhead my dad used to call me a hardhead and i could never understand and now looking back i kind of get it i was like i'm not gonna quit this until i can figure it out i never really figured it out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just, I, to this day, I 
got to tell you, I still haven't figured it out. Um, but I was not going to give up. And I somehow eventually got a job. I look back, I'm not quite sure how that happened. It clearly was a mistake. <laughs> I still have imposter syndrome. Every time I get a job, I promise you, I think they called the wrong actor. You know, oh, that they meant funny. to call the, yeah, that they meant to call the other actor. My number was in front of them. They accidentally hired me. I constantly think that. <laughs> and then I'm always nervous that they're going to realize they made the mistake and I'm already in wardrobe and I'm in front of the camera. And they were like, wait a minute, we didn't want to hire her. We met the other actor. <laughs> but it's like, oopsie, I'm already here, you know? Um, so that's kind of how it happened. I stumbled into it and I, I kind of got bit by the acting bug because I kind of wanted to help people in the sense that like when I was funny, I want to make you laugh. When I was evil, I wanted to make you hate me. When, you know, when I was supposed to be sexy, I wanted you to want me, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so it became this kind of like way I thought I could kind of by entertaining, um, help people, you know, uh, through their lives by checking out for a minute, you know, by watching TV or films, right? which I think bled and then, but I was always doing like volunteer work and I always care about social welfare issues on the side because as an actor, you have a lot of downtime. So I had to fill that up with something that meant something to me, you know, and right. that's what eventually led me into uh, taking a break and going to school to get a proper degree to help people, you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. You mentioned some of the odd jobs that you had. Uh, I saw online <laughs> yeah. you were a cocktail waitress at a mud wrestling bar. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Hollywood Tropicana, baby. Listen, I was totally illegally cocktailing. OK, now my sons are like, Mom, really, you're going to admit that? I'm like, yeah, because back in the day, you could get away with that. Like we right. didn't have ABC coming in and saying, how old are your waitresses? So I was um, actually the year I was 20. I was barely 20. I got the job because, again, I was working on these odd jobs just trying to make my bills and feed my cat, you know, right. and my and my acting classes, which were really expensive and my little gas and my Volkswagen. So. This, this guy goes, hey, you know, I could get you this job in this team. No, he didn't say that. He said you'd be a, wait a cut to waitress. I said, oh, I'm not 21. He goes, don't worry about it. He'll never ask. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I showed up, and all of a sudden, I see this pit in the middle of the room. I've never been in a female oil, oil and mud wrestling joint before. So I was like, what's the pit? And they're like, oh, that's the entertainment. I'm like, oh, okay. And all of a sudden, these girls come out in a bikini, and they're, they're, they're auctioning off the oil bottle. The guys bid on it, and they oil them down, and they jump in the pit with them. And I'm like, what am I doing? The tops are falling off. And then I didn't dare tell my family, but I was making some good money there, illegally cocktailing. Right. And um, I did that for a year. And it was, I, it's where I got my, um, I'm not going to say rough edge. It's where I grew my, uh, some armor. I was pretty naive and really like, la, 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 la. kind of like Amaretto and Vamp. Right. You know, like, yeah. oh, the vampires, really? But I love Chris Makepeace. It's like, you just completely, <laughs> blew it you know, just totally like, what? You know, it, and, and it was there that I learned having two trays of drinks, how to kick guys in the shin with my boot when they grabbed my butt when I couldn't defend myself, you know, um, because it was a pretty raunchy place. <laughs> I said, please don't do that. And they do it anyway. So I'm like, okay, well, you're forcing me to kick you in the shin, but you could do that back then and not get sued. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was defending myself. I had two pitchers of beer <laughs> and he grabbed my butt. And I had to defend myself, so he has a shin, I have a boot, and there was contact. There you go. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Make good money. That's so funny. So um, you mentioned that, you know, your sister Michelle was sort of um, telling you make sure you take acting lessons and stuff. You're the middle child, right? Yeah, I have my older brother. Me, my. Like, I gave birth to my brother. <laughs> we have my brother, Rick, who's, like, the oldest, and then Michelle, 
call her Shell. And then me and then my younger sister, Lori. There's four of us. Can you believe that? That's crazy. So, I, that is crazy. Yeah, you've been warned. We're out there. <laughs> so did, did you ever have middle child syndrome like Jan Brady? Oh, my God. <laughs> totally. You know, it's I'm so I always say I'm so stereotypical middle child, always a keeper pleaser. I'm always, always rearranging furniture to try to get the family to stop fighting. Look over here. And they're like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm like, but I did the dishes, whatever. It's like, no, but this is the good thing for fighting. And, you know, they were just like, you know, move her to the It's just so overlooked and unappreciated. <laughs> I'm totally felt sorry for myself all the time because it was like, but I'm trying to make harmony. They're like, just move out of the way. I, I need to get past you to go smack the other kids and it's like you know it, it, it was so it's shocking that I still have those traits now as an adult the people pleaser can we all just get along you know I want to save all the animals and the people in the world and right. um <laughs> and the world is working against me on that you know Roger the yep. world's working against me on oh, that yeah. we're not working together <laughs> Oh, man. And so the fact around, you know, when you started acting and Michelle was starting to get more and more higher profile jobs, was that sort of, um, did that help bolster your confidence? Because I know that, you know, as a budding actor, it's really difficult life because you get more rejections than you do roles. But did you see, did it look to you that because she was starting to get more and more success that the, there was a silver lining, there was a light at the end of the tunnel, if you will? No, no, dude. Back then... When I first started, after I stumbled and fell in acting class for two years, and I went, I literally thought, well, it's been two years now. If I can't get it now, I'm never going to get it. So I went out and got an agent. First thing they said to me back then in the eight, uh, this was 1982, 84, they said, you got to change your last name. Oh, coffee's ready. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm like hashtag sober life. <laughs> Mama don't drink no more, so I drink a lot of coffee. Right, um, right. Anyway, yeah, right. Got to transfer the addiction to something productive. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so um, nice way I just flip that in there that I'm, I'm in recovery. <laughs> so that's how we have to talk about it. Seriously, we got to talk about addiction like that. I mean, okay. it's crazy to be like all like, oh yeah, I'm in recovery. I don't want to tell anybody. No, no, we have to tell everybody. Right. But we can go back to that. But the thing with the um. They told me straight up, you got to change your name because people are going to compare you to your sister and you're not going to get work. And that was the truth. No hmm. one took the sibling of a successful actor, actress at the time, serious. Right. They just didn't. They, the same way they didn't they didn't take TV actors seriously. If you were a serious, quote unquote, actor back then, you did films and all of the rest of us or who the other working actors, the TV, you were considered credible. And right. that's basically how it was. We didn't have celebrities acting. We had literally, literally actors acting. And there was two hierarchies, right? Yep. So, and then there was another dy another dynamic, which was you, you did not want to have the last name Stallone or Pfeiffer or whoever was successful, you know? So they told me to change my name. And I was like, oh, hell no. And again, the <laughs> hard head, the hard head. And they were like, it's going to be hard for you. They're going to constantly compare you to your sister. So, you know, okay. So... I was like, that's my birth given name. It's not my, that's their problem, not mine, you know? Yeah. And it was harder. It was, there was, they, they called me in expecting a younger version of her, right. a cheaper, cheaper version of her. <laughs> <laughs> you have the discounted Michelle Pfeiffer. And when I'd walk in, I had a lot more obstacles. First, they had to get over the fact that I was nothing like her. I still cheap though. I was definitely the discounted version, but selling something entirely different. <laughs> so I had a lot more hurdles to get over so i had to, they had to, i had to 
tell them that, okay, you don't want another version of her. She, we, she's already her. Okay. She's over there, but let me show you who I am. Let me show you what I can do. Some people fell for it. Some people didn't. They just kept trying to um, find another version of her. And I always kind of, I had to accept. So I got told no a lot. Oh my God. Wow. Oh yeah. For a lot of reasons. Plus I also, I was sucked too. <laughs> I had that in there um, until I found my legs, you know, until I went to a different acting coach and he's fantastic. He said, look, let's just call it what it is. You're never going to be your sister, nor would I suggest you try, but you know what you are, you're Didi and let's discover who Didi is and where your strengths are and pop those out and work on the other things that, you know, where say you're not as strong. In. So he was beautiful in, in helping me uh, become aware of where my strengths were. One was my comedy, my timing. Um, also, he had said, you know, he's pretty brutal at the time they could talk to you like this. He said, look, you're not as beautiful as your sister, but you're sexy. It, it's it's interesting. Like, and I'm just going to call you what it is. So you're not, not saying you're ugly, baby, but you are sexy and that's really powerful huh. because it, you could get hit in the face with a bat and not be beautiful anymore but you could still be sexy with a bastion face <laughs> 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 if you know how to use that sexuality right. and then you start pointing out other actresses and actors say for instance who are not necessarily like gorgeous and this includes men but really sexy and you, and you started realizing that the that, that that's a dynamic quality to have if you know how to uh, use it and be aware of it, be mindful of it. Right? right. So I started to score all my roles, even if the, even though they were not say sexy roles with the sexuality, with a little naughtiness, a little, you know what I mean? I'd sex them oh. up. Cause that, cause I knew that that was one of my more stronger selling points. So when I would read for a role, I would look through, I would be doing it a little differently than all the other blonde actors at the time. And they'd be like, I don't know why I kind of like what Didi Pfeiffer did. She really, Am I nuts or did she just maybe made that scene a little sexy when we did not write it that way? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> right? Just add. So it was kind of like trying to, and but then that takes confidence. And I had to grow my, my legs. I was very insecure as an actor. I was very afraid to go in and do something different right. and, and go up against the grain. But then be directable for when they said, interesting. Okay, you hooked us. We like what you did. But now can you do what we wrote? <laughs> <laughs> Right. So I had to learn to be directable and absolutely give them what they wrote. Yeah. But I want to show them that I can give them another version of what they wrote, that if you really want the stereotypical blonde who's going to give you what you wrote, it's best you do cast somebody else. Otherwise, if you want to go a little out of the box, I'm your girl. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. But uh, that takes time, man, to develop that. That is not something... Some people are born with it. God bless them. I'm not. And to this day at 57, I still have to remind myself of that because I sometimes still get insecure and like, yeah, yeah. It's still, it's the beast of being human. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it takes a lot of guts though, to be able to put yourself out there like that and, you know, know that you're kind of going slightly against the grain, but like you said, it, it has often succeeded for you. Yeah. And also not succeeded for me. And what, but it's nice is when you have somebody in your camp, when you have say this acting coach at the time, Roy London, who was all about, like he said to me, someone hired him one day for a studio film who they hired this new guy. And they said, we have a new Tom Cruise. And they hired Roy to coach this guy. And the first thing he said to him is you do not have a new Tom Cruise. And the producers were, yes, we do. And he goes, no, you don't. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise. Right. He's already done. He's over there. If, you, and if you're trying to get this guy to be the new Tom Cruise, you're not going to, you're not letting this guy be 
uh, what who he is. Let's call him Joe, right? Yeah. Joe, we need you need if you there's something about Joe you like, and it can't be he's another version of Tom Cruise. We got to discover discover Joe. You need to be one who discovered Joe, not a replica of something's already been discovered, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> And that's how Roy London and Ivana Chubbuck, who's still with us, amazing. And they are like very much advocates for that. Um, it's kind of like if you have a cleft lip, don't try to hide it. Use it. Absolutely own it. Right. Right. She told uh, Gina Davis when Roy worked with her. She was super tall, taller than all the other leading guys. Yeah. Roy said, go in there and wear heels. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Own it. <laughs> own it, man. And guess what? She got to roll up. Well, who is it up against? What's his face? Who she was like 10 times taller. And she was like, up for an Oscar to boot. Yeah. Like the most unlikely actor in town to get it because she was already a foot taller than him. And she wore heels and went in there. <laughs> but her performance and what she showed them was a different way of looking at it and owning what we are, even if what we are is, say, not in the spectrum of average or norms as we like to see them. Women are not supposed to be taller than men. Says who? Right, exactly. Right? Yeah, really. Okay, maybe in your world, but over here, it's okay. Over here, we're okay with that. Yeah, and that's just it. And you know, like what you were saying before too is you, you can't have another John Wayne. John Wayne is John Wayne. Yeah, you need yeah. someone to be themselves. Exactly. Like we have a guy on our show, Big Sky, who's actually named John Wayne, and he has a lot of characteristics of say John Wayne when it comes to a cowboy. But and his name is um oh Lord Kyle, and oh yeah Kyle, and he is bringing to the performance him you know right. and it's like a new modern day version of a kyle who happens to be a cowboy and have some characteristics of john wayne but it's certainly his it's his role you know and that's so much more fun to watch because then you get to discover uh who they are and that's what keeps you i think tuned in right it's it's exactly. constantly discovering yeah constantly discovering you don't want to dumb down your audience and be like here i'm gonna make this journey easy for you how about make it make it so they're watching and go where are you going with that where are you going with that performance right i want to know if you're john wayne but i don't know if you're john wayne really yeah <laughs> <laughs> right that's so funny yeah it's absolutely true you know it's like all them bruce lee knockoff movies they had with guys named bruce lee but it was spelled differently b-l-i-l-e mm-hmm. you know it's like no there was only one bruce lee <laughs> Yeah, your best to find, yeah, another version of that, yeah. And that's where interpretation, but I got, again, I got to go back to home base. That comes with, for me, it took time. I grew confidence, and I still have to work on it on a daily basis to remind myself of my truth, you know, but yeah. I do, yeah, and I think that um, it's, it's tough. I think part of growing up is stumbling and falling and trying to discover who you are, but I also think who you surround yourself with make, is important, you know? Yep. If you surround yourself with people who are negative and always point out someone's faults or and your own or whatever in their own, you know, I think that that starts to become part of who you are versus if you're with people who are positive, who find the light, who see the dark. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Embrace, embrace both. Leave room for both. Exactly. But choose the, yeah, right. But choose the lens of light. Right. To look through light. Yeah. And so when you're doing a role and you're pouring yourself 100% into it, do you ever find, like, especially if it's a, um, a really emotionally intense role, do you find that that will sort of bleed over into real life when you're going home after shooting and you have to kind of shake that off? Or are you able to really separate, you know, home life and work life? 
Um, it, it depends on the role in this thing, but I would have to say the way I was trained is you do have to go in pretty deep and you got to pull up some stuff that generally you don't want to pull up because it's pretty painful stuff. Right. So in, depending on the production and how many times I do it, it can actually be really therapeutic where if I'm bringing up that old trauma to get to the, to that place in the scene over and over and over and over again. Right. By the time we're done, I'm exhausted. I'm like, I'm like you know exhausted yeah so it's therapeutic but the trick is when i go home is to replenish that with self-care and fill myself back up with something positive the problem in the past for me was i used to do the alcohol i would just fill it with alcohol because it was that uncomfortable feeling of having to sit in my trauma for hours pulling it up for my performance and when i i didn't have the skills nor the acknowledgement that i had a drinking problem okay right. or i wasn't ready to say hey i had a problem until i was ready i wasn't ready so alcohol was the way i would you know fill that and now of course i know differently that that's not good <laughs> to <Yeah>. do <laughs> and you know and leads you down a rabbit hole of ugly 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 so it's for me to um you come then home and do something positive, something nice to yourself, which is not my default. You know, I'm kind of really mean to myself. I'm fabulous with other people, the kindest person you'll meet. But when I come to myself, I'm pretty rotten. Oh, treat God. myself pretty bad. Yeah, I don't really treat myself very well. So I ha I'm learning. At 57, see, old dogs can learn new tricks. Right. At 57, what? Yeah, what it means to uh, um, to say, hey, you, you had a long day. That was really hard. Um, come home and do something nice. It's okay to do something nice for yourself. Exactly. Um, and and um, I know, again, we use these words. It sounds so easy. But for those of you out there listening to this podcast and you find that hard, I get you. It's hard. But doesn't make it impossible. It's just hard. Right. But you can do it. You know what I mean? You just got to kind of almost like sometimes you just have to close your eyes and just do it. Like I'm like, just go take a damn bath. Just stop it. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm in the bath going, "Why was that so hard? This is so nice." <laughs> <laughs> the boys aren't going to starve. There's a pizza in the freezer. They know how to nuke it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, no man. one's going to die in the house. Okay, there's food in the house. Go take a damn bath and tell everybody you need a little. You know, you need 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It's okay. I say, I God, it's, I don't know why that's so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> That's so funny. So yeah. you, you, was your first role Simon and Simon? Oh, no. My first uh, was Into the Night. Um, what happened was I was auditioning. Back in the day, that we, we call, there was this thing called the Catch-22. And I'm not sure if that still happens now. You could not work on a union show. And at that point, everything was union. All the feature right. films and all the TV were union. Union meaning SAG. They were SAG productions. Mm -hmm. You had to have, be in the union to work on those shows, whether it was TV or film. But you couldn't get a SAG union card unless you got a SAG interview. Like you needed an interview for those projects. But they used to do this thing like they only read SAG actors for those roles. So you're like, well, here comes, here lies the problem. How can I get that role to get the SAG card if I can't get the interview for the damn project? Right. <laughs> so you get really tricky and we would learn how to lie on our resume and make it look like you were SAG without ever saying you were not SAG. Oh, in the okay. hopes that you could, yeah, so you'd slip in Boom with your performance, and then hopefully they would hire you because then it cost them money to taft heartedly you into the union. It cost them money to get you into the union, right? Yeah. So normally, because a production wants to save money, they're going to try to go for the actor that's already in the union, saves them money, right? 
So I got an interview where my agent got tricky and I got trickier with my resume and I got in and they loved me and they said, I got the role. I was, it was some, some TV thing, actually a movie of the week at the time. My family and me were jumping up and down. Didi got a job. Oh my God. Oh my God. We're so excited. My agent goes, you're sad, right? Because he has a lot of clients. And I went, no, no, no. Remember I'm not. And he goes, Ooh, let me call you back. Oh, called me back and said, yep, here we go. Here comes the ugly part of the story. <laughs> Calls me back and um, says, oh, well, they thought you were sad. And there was another girl they liked as well who is sad. So they're going to give the role to uh, her. Oh, Michelle was working. On, yeah, right. Talk about a, a two by four right between the eyes. And I was like so close, but then the door was slammed in the face. So um, Michelle was working on Into the Night at the time with Jeff Goldblum and um, um John Landis. Yeah. And she went to work that night and she told John the story and John was like, oh, hell no. He, so he said, tell her to show up on Saturday night in front of Fred Reese of Hollywood in Hollywood with her <laughs> trashiest clothes and I'll <laughs> give her a hooker role. She'll just hit on you and Jeff. Tell her it ain't gonna land in the movie. We'll just film it. I'll tap hardly here into the union. She'll have to figure out how to make money to pay off the rest of the dues to get in the union, but I'll at least get open the damn door for her because that's ridiculous. I hate that story. He's such a great guy, right? Yeah. yeah. So I was like, woohoo. Well, here's the best part of the story. So it went from an ugly story to a, a happy story. So I showed up and I looked at both of them and he just goes, just look at your sister and say, hey, you want to date? And look at Jeff and say, you want to party? So I did. But I, I was a method actor. So I did all this work and all this stuff, right? And he loved what I did. And he called me afterwards and said, you're funny. I'm keeping you in the movie. I said, get out. Nice. And he goes, hey, yeah. And he goes, I know it costs a few hundred dollars. I didn't have to get to pay off the rest of the money to get your card. So I'm going to hire you to do ADR so to help you pay off the rest of your card. So wow. <laughs> you watch the movie. if you watch the movie, you'll hear me go, there's no parking at the red curb. <laughs> we will be towed at the red curb or whatever I said, right? Or yeah. paging Mr. Brown, paging Mr. Brown. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so John Landis and my sister helped the gal out, right? When, um, wow. Yeah. And that beautiful. It's, it's cool. And that then opened the doors for me to be able to read for other roles. Cause then I could at least get the damn interview. You know what I mean? It wasn't, right. yeah, it wasn't that damn catch 22. So just goes to show you, man, if you just a little bit of hard headedness sometimes helps just don't give up, man. <laughs> just yeah, keep going. Yeah. Don't, don't listen to no. Right? And a little bit of luck too. I mean, if John Landis hadn't yeah. heard that story, he wouldn't have done that for you. It's so true. Yeah. I do think a lot of it has to do with luck. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So uh, what do you remember about some of your early stuff like Simon and Simon or even I actually rewatched The Midnight Hour the other day because I remember watching that when I was like uh, 14, 15, something like that when that came on TV. <laughs> I mean, that one's chock full of up and comers. You know, you got Kurtwood Smith, Sherry Belafonte, LeVar Burton, Peter DeLuise. I mean, what was that yeah. like? That was fun. LeVar used to call me Didymus Babymus. <laughs> <laughs> I call him the Miss Baby Miss. <laughs> That's awesome. I just remember we were just like a bunch of kids playing, although we took our craft very seriously. Right. You know, I was method and all that stuff. All I remember, well, I remember a lot about that. Wait a minute. I, wait, I was, wait, oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm so brain dead. Um, I, the cheerleader, I read for the cheerleader, right? That was, the, wait, am I confusing movies? Because I did quite a few horror movies. I think movies. that was it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, because we all did the dancing on it and stuff. 
we were dancing vampires and stuff. <laughs> Anyways, I read, this happens to me a lot. I usually read for one role and get another one, which is kind of cool. It's like, hey, well, just one of them hired, right? Right. That happened with friends. I, I read for one role and got another role. So, and I read for the cheerleader role in that and then didn't get it. And then um, I remember... I realized in that movie that um, I was, I had vertigo because they told us to walk down the staircase with our hands forward, like zombies or vampires, yeah. but, but, and look forward like you're dead. And I remember I kept falling, oh, um, you know, they were like, what is her problem? And I realized, oh my God, if I don't look at my feet going down the stairs, I go forward. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, crazy. So I had, I was the vampire who kind of kept trying to keep her hand on the rail. <laughs> Which didn't make me look very dead. It made right. me look very aware of my mortality. Because <laughs> a dead vampire wouldn't care if she fell down, right? Because she's kind of dead. Right. But exactly. um, I was like, well, you haven't, well, you're going to have a little bit of a weird vampire or a dead actor or one with a contusion because I'm going to. <laughs> I find out the weirdest stuff about myself, but that was fun. We were just a bunch of kids. We worked crazy hours and it was fun. Oh yeah. I mean, in vamp, you look like you were having a ton of fun with, you know, Chris Makepeace and, uh, and, uh, uh what's his name? Uh, Billy Drago. Billy. Oh my God. Billy Drago, Getty Watanabe, Robert Russell, Chris, uh, Grace, Grace Jones. Uh, yeah. Robert, <laughs> dude, if anybody, okay. If anybody out there, this young generation, you want a hoot, watch the making of vamp. That is the craziest thing because the making of vamp is so much more fun than actually the movie vamp and trust me the movie vamp is fun it's a fun black comedy oh yeah but the making of vamp is crazy dude we had chris and i lost 10 pounds like overnight because we were working these crazy hours sidewalks were caving in literally with the truck going down the sidewalk the caved in we all got sick homeless people were suing us because we gave them food they got sick um, Grace would we'd never come out of the trailer because we weren't sure what she was doing in there. And so we were shooting scenes we weren't even prepared for because we never knew when she came out what she was going to look like, right? And then people <laughs> were giving her hair trims in between scenes or her wig starts shrinking oh, a day. And we were like, dude, there's a thing called continuity. What are you doing? But the people around her were not movie people. They were like real professional like artists and hairstylists and makeup an artist. Like Keith hearing painted her body, right? Yeah. It was the great... And Richard Wink was like just cracking jokes the whole time. The whole Robert Russell just disappeared when no one could find him. And I think we saw, oh, well, oh well, he, we found found him at Grace. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so like, what the hell is going? No, it, those making a vamp was insane. So they were like safety pinning my wardrobe on me because I was losing weight because I lived off of cigarettes, coffee, and peanut M and M's. Yeah. <laughs> And and rap beer at six in the morning, wow. right? So my car was stolen off the set. Oh, I went no. to go leave, and my car was gone. Oh. Gone. So it was just like the making of <laughs> making a vamp. Oh my god! And then Grace one time came out with his vibrator. <laughs> Where's my? She was always yelling, "Where's my vib vibrator?" And then she crashed into the sound cart. She, the vibrator, and the sound guy all went down, and the vibrator with the cord was hanging up in the. Oh, I was just, I wasn't there that day, unfortunately, because that sounded like a lot of fun. Um, but it was just, oh we did a lot of crazy stuff on Vamp you could not get away with right now, which makes the making of Vamp pretty fun and a movie within itself, really. Wow. Yeah, yeah we'll definitely have to check that out. Oh, my God, that sounds yeah. like so much fun. It was, yeah, 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 it was insane. So funny. <laughs> and you got to work with Michelle again in, uh, I think it was just a small role, in Frankie and Johnny with Al Pacino. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, 
let's see, I, I read for that role, which, you know, a lot of people I think, think that she'll just gives me roles. <laughs> But, well, I didn't you know, think if you, that. If you think about it, people say that. I was my comeback would be well. First of all, um, that's not giving me a lot of faith in my ability to act. Number one, exactly. Um, it's like saying, "Oh, she's so she's so bad. The girl can't get arrested. Let's just give her something." Um, right? Which is not that's not my truth. But also, it's like if she's going to give me a damn role, give me a good one. Give me like your co-star. <laughs> give me a big fatty role. Like don't give me the little roles, right? right? I read for those little roles and I got those little roles because the director said is against all odds, she happens to be your sister and we really like her for the role. So that happened with Frankie and Johnny and up close and personal. Yeah. I remember on Frankie and Johnny, it was funny, it was the first time I worked with her. And I, at that point, I realized we, our training was t- so different. Shell is um, a very learned, like, like left brain um, artist. Like she, she's very specific way that she rehearses and, and performs and acts to get to the, this amazing performance she gets to. And then there's me. I'm like polar opposite of that. It's almost kind of like she's the Armani, Armani of acting, and I'm the Dulce Cabana of, <laughs> of acting. Right. I'm like used to improv and, you know, this kind of like loosey goosey way. And and she didn't come from that. Right. So I think the best way to appreciate both of our ways of acting, although different, is she's Armani. She's the Armani actor. And I'm like the Jill Chikapani school of acting. (laughs) (laughs) Still really successful. Right. Still really beautiful designers. Just very different. right? Right. It's, how did Gary Marshall deal with that, with the fact that you guys had – I mean, I would imagine directors have to deal with all kinds of personalities, but specifically yeah. you and Michelle. That's a good question. I'm trying to remember. Dude, I can't remember what I did this morning. Um, <laughs> me, me neither. <laughs> damn COVID. And a, Okay, come on. It's also age. Come on. Yeah, um, I'm 51. Before, so. I, before I couldn't say COVID, now I'm just like, oh, it's COVID. Yeah. I've lost my mind because it's COVID. I don't remember your name, George, because COVID. <laughs> it's like, no, you just don't remember because you're old. Um, you know, or you're not paying attention. Um, how did Gary, I think Gary just went with it. I think he just allowed, you know, like we were able to do a little improv, you know, like for me, and then we were able, and then we went back to more structured kind of interview. So he was really great about accommodating everybody okay. in the scene. Yeah. Because what's nice about those big films, you have the time. Oh yeah. You have the money, you have the money to do it as many times as you need until everyone's comfortable with it before you lay anything. And remember at that time, remember it was film. Oh, yeah. Now, right? People don't realize back in the day, film was very expensive. It's called burning film because that's exactly it. Once you filmed, that was it. That film, you know, it, you can't go back over it. Right. <laughs> and it was expensive. <laughs> yeah. So you rehearsed your butt off before that camera rolled at all. And there was a lot of pressure on you, by the way, to not mess up takes because – Again, it's now it's like, ah, eh, it doesn't matter. You go back over a thousand times and it's really no, no extra money, but it is extra time. Right. Back then you really had to come prepared. You, you had to appreciate and respect the way other people, the way they worked. And you had to flush all that out before you turn that camera on, you know? Yeah. Um, now a lot of times it's so fast and furious, you can figure it out while you're filming. Then it was much more um, different. And it was also very collaborative, I think, back then, too, because you're not going to get anything on film if, if there wasn't collaboration before the cameras rolled. So that Absolutely. was kind of cool. Yeah. Right. 
So I think there was like a caliber of acting maybe back then. It's a little bit different than say the last 10, 20 years when we went to a digital and, you know, things changed. Right. You know? But, but you know, like in the daytime shows, like the soap operas, they, it's not that they, um, they have film, but they have a short amount of time. So they pretty much get almost barely any rehearsal and pretty much one or two takes. And you're working off of like 40 to 80 pages a day. And so that's yes. got to be difficult. Okay, back in the day when I was younger, before my three divorces, I dated this guy, and he was an actor, and he was he was reading for General Hospital or one of those big daytime things, right? And here I am. He gets this material, like you said, it's like 150 pages. And yeah. I'm like, are you joking me? And he's like, yeah, man. So literally, he the, the only amount of time he really had was to memorize that stuff. And it was a lot of material. And I'm over here going, okay, now we got to score it. And now we got to go deeper. And what's your internal, you know, obstacle? How are you going to cut? You know, I started, you know, you know, breaking down the scene and <laughs> to read. <laughs> I told him, I said, dude, you're five layers too deep. Just get the lines out. You're a good-looking guy. <laughs> and he came back and goes, thanks a lot, honey. I didn't get the role because I said I was, like, too deep. And I'm, I was like, what do you mean? Too deep? What does that even mean? And he's like, they just want me to read the damn lines. He ended up getting it after all. He just threw all the work out and just said and got the lines out of his face. Correct. Now, I'm not saying that that's how daytime is. And I'm not I'm not taking away from the fact that really talented actors oh, work yeah. in that movie. I got to tell you, I'm terrible at memorizing lines. I could not be a daytime actor. They'd fire me. They'd be like, this, this bitch can't even fucking learn, you know, three pages. Right. Fast. <laughs> I can learn it, but not fast because I have a reading disorder and, you know, again, the old brain thing, the COVID brain. But like, I have to say, I look over at those actors and I hold them very high, uh, you know, in with, oh, with yeah. respect because that is not easy it's just not and um i know i couldn't do it good for them and i yeah yeah Yeah. and sometimes they put out like these oscar winning perform or oscar worthy performances in one or two takes well that's the whole thing people kind of like want to say these comments or critique them and it's like do you have any idea how hard that is to do your whole performance in one maybe two takes that is so hard and to have even a decent performance let alone a really good one or a brilliant one yeah wow and that is that's right up there with stage stages when the curtain comes up there ain't no cut take two when you're on the stage that's it oh yeah yeah (laughs) right yeah (laughs) do you have have a preference um do you prefer like when you're doing tv shows versus movies uh single camera versus three camera is do you have any preference or is it all just kind of the same thing um I like any medium that will allow me to do a few takes because mama sometimes messes up. <laughs> like I said, I sometimes forget my lines because I'm so in the, I've been known to be listening so hard to the other actor that I go up on my lines because I'm really listening to them. <laughs> it's like, Didi, it's your turn. I've had some people on Big Sky say, Didi, you know, can you pick up the ball? I go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm, just, I'm really actually listening to you. And I forget that my line is next, um, which is, yeah, good and bad thing. But um, I would say... Well, there's something beautiful about each thing. Like right now, I have to say, I do love like the format of the hour drama. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's fast, but it's cool. It, it's really it's cool. But then the half an hour comedies are kind of nice because you have the live audience. Listen, the live audience scare the shit out of me because they're right there. They're right there, and they see you sweating, right? Or they see the writers come up and change your line because you're tanking it. You're not landing it, right? Right. So you, you get immediate, uh, like like when you know here comes the funny line, and the audience don't laugh. You're like, ah, earth open up and swallow me. It's pretty painful when you know they're supposed to laugh and they didn't, and you know it's your fault. 
It's but yet on the flip side of that coin, there is nothing more like of a high when you land that joke and the whole audience is laughing. You're like, oh God, I'm I'm huge. I did it. You know, it's yeah. like yes, it's a great feeling. You know, but it's really awful when you don't. <laughs> it's painful. <laughs> so it's both. You know, it's let's just say when you can when you can do it and you can do it right and well and successful. Live audience, the for camera is like awesome. But when nice. you're when you suck, it's painful. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you had just yeah. offhandedly mentioned uh, Earth Open Up and Swallow Me. Didn't you have an incident once with uh, Jack Nicholson and an apple? Yeah, I'm, I'm known for this. I did this with water, with Sting. Um, <laughs> I did this when I met um, um, uh, yeah, Jack Nicholson. I went to go visit my sister on Witches of Eastwick, and um, and she, I went into the trailer. I just got off the plane and uh, she, she goes, Oh, this is Jack. I said, Oh, nice to meet you. <laughs> Try not to, you know, <laughs> just, you know, buckle the knees. And then she goes, Oh, I'll be right back. I have to go to makeup. She leaves me in the trailer with him alone. That's her first mistake. First mistake right there. So I start babbling. I don't know what I said. Something about the cat. She had rescued a cat and they named it Darren. And I said, it was a stupid name. <laughs> he said, well, I think it's kind of a cool name. And then I realized his name is Darren in the, in the movie. Oh, that's and I'm funny. like, I was like, oh, God. So I just continued to put my foot in my mouth. So finally, I decided it's best to shut up. So I grabbed an apple. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> Took a bite of it. I think I swallowed it wrong because I didn't probably chew. I went down my windpipe. I started choking. He's like, hey, you going to be okay? I'm like, ah, I'm okay. I ran to the bathroom, and you know, and I'm in the bathroom thinking <laughs> – I'm not going out. I'm not leaving this bathroom. <laughs> I'm staying here until he leaves. But of course I had to go back out there. He's like, okay. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. <laughs> we got real quiet after that. And then um, when I met Sting, I got nervous and I drank, I chugged water and I started choking then. I don't know what it is with me and food or water or the oral thing around people that I think are godlike. Like Sting and right. Jack Nicholson and me just making a complete ass of myself. Yeah, but then Jack said to my sister later, "I go, he thinks I'm an ass." And she goes, "He actually thought you had. He said he liked you because you have a lot of idiosyncrasies." <laughs> AKA, AKA crazy and weird. I'm sure. <laughs> nice. Quirky. Hey, we'll, we'll say quirky. Yeah, she's quirky. <laughs> so all y'all who get nervous around celebrities, I hear you. I picked up what you dropped. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit... We have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, 
like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Greetings, this is Mr. Lobo. Are you a sinsomniac? Do you stay up late and watch what normal people call bad movies till dawn? Black and white low-budget pot boilers, box office bombs, West German talking car movies, rock bands versus monster movies, broken down school films, midget zombie and midget spy flicks, guys in gorilla suit movies, even old TV commercials, inappropriate cartoons, drive-in snack bar ads, and worse? <clears throat> well, we like to say they're not bad movies, just misunderstood. Stay up late with Miss Mittens, your host, Mr. Lobo, and a revolving door of special guests, fellow horror movie hosts, robot monsters, and lovely real seven girls for a late night TV slumber party that we call Cinema Insomnia. You can watch us on channel OSI 74 for Roku. We even have some episodes on Amazon and Alpha Video DVD. You may never get a good night's sleep again. For a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to the discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. So um, let's move along here. How did you um, get the role on Sybil? Audition for it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and shockingly, um, I didn't go up on my lines. I didn't stutter. I, just, I hit the comedy beats. Um, yeah, I got to tell you, I, did, I didn't think that. Uh, I just went into read for it like everything else and just expected a no. And when I got a yes, I was pretty shocked. <laughs> no one was more surprised. No one is more surprised than me when I get a role. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> that role included. That was my first series regular. So I was very much just deer in the headlight the whole time because I I just learned, you know, uh, I didn't know that platform. I didn't know that um, the three ha- the three camera comedy. I didn't know all that stuff. So it was really uh, or as being a series regular. So it was fun. It was all that to me was a learning experience. I got my feet wet, you know? Yeah. It seemed like Rachel yeah. was just pregnant all the time. Pregnant and eating the entire time. It was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> you guys definitely look like you were having some wacky fun on that show. 
Yeah, the writers were just fantastic. Oh, my God. They wrote great. Well, the whole thing was based upon AdFab, which I ironically love that show. Oh. Most, people, most people in the States at that time hadn't really heard about it. But my best friend, God bless his soul, he's no longer with us from AIDS. He used to tape it and bring it to me because I didn't have a TV, working TV. I was, a work, I was a starving actor. I didn't have a right, TV. Right. Or I didn't have cable and I lived in the hills, so I didn't have any reception. So he would tape AdFab. Yeah. And bring it up to me. And he'd also tape the news, which is funny because he would come up once every three weeks. So my news was always like late. <laughs> but um, but I remember watching AdFab and um, thinking, what a great show. And then I read for Sybil. And I thought, this looks, this is a lot like AdFab. So how crazy is that? I never knew that. And I love AdFab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's amazing. Think about the, the two women drinking and the whole thing. That's right. Loosely, yeah. I, oh, wow. That's, that's, wow. You learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah. And then the daughter who's a little bit of a stick in the mud, that would be me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. I'm going to have to go back and revisit Sybil because I just rewatched all of Ab Fab uh, last year and, uh, and I got to go back and rewatch Sybil. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. Binge, binge. That's what they're doing now. I, I don't have time to binge anything. I have time I to binge ice cream right. <laughs> and, <dating tips. laughs> and coffee. Right. You know, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> It's funny. Back when, when the show was on, um, I think Murphy Brown followed sh- a few years after, and I used to kind of get them confused. I don't know why. For whatever reason, I would I would get them confused in my head. But they came back with um with a revival show. I think recently, if Sybil ever did that, like a like as a Netflix show or something, would you ever reprise your role as Rachel? I would be honored to do that, um, because I'm always about the fans i'm always about the viewers always about the followers and if there's enough um excitement about seeing that cast the cast of sybil come back and do something fun of course i'd love to be a part of that because you know i don't i'm not an actor for me this is why i don't watch my um i don't want i barely watch my work i'm like three episodes behind on big sky (laughs) i find it really hard to if I did, if I wasn't in it, it'd be great. You know what I mean? It's like I have to, it, it's just like, so, and I don't listen to my interviews. I don't watch my press. I do it and I trust my publicist and my manager and my family that if I do something stupid, they'll tell me right. um, and I'll, I'll just won't do it again. But I don't, I don't need to watch myself or look at myself, you know, although I do watch my work just to make sure that I'm kind of, I'm doing what I, my, my intention was. Right. Right. But then I, I need to forget about it and, and immediately erase it from my memory because otherwise it depresses me. Um, so the thing is, is that, yeah, it's always about the entertainment, right? It's about what y'all want out there, right? Yeah, so, exactly. of course, I would love to be a part of that. Not for me, um, but for the people who enjoyed the show. Sure, that'd be fun. Although I'm redhead now, that will be interesting. So well, and it, would, it would be fun to, to revisit Rachel, you know, however many years later and see where her yeah. life is taken. <laughs> Especially if she like became like a stripper and then she's in rehab and then now she's sober. I mean, like really have fun with it because she was such a stick in the mud to make her like when and the show ended, she just went AWOL, went crazy, and then she cleaned back up again. And then, yeah, I think <laughs> this is what I would do. See what I would do with Rachel? That would be <laughs> funny. I would make her really textured and <laughs> and, and real. Oh, man. I, I would pay to see that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you have any funny stories from, from Friends or Seinfeld when you guest starred on those shows? Oh, funny. Tell funny stories. Oh, uh, when I did Friends, I'd given um, birth to my son three months before. I was babe, I was breastfeeding, literally outside the audition room. I was breastfeeding my three-month-old son. And I got the role, which is crazy. Although I read for one role, but then I'm getting the other role. 
But the best part was when I went on the set, I had this green suede jacket and um, Lisa Kudrow, who's had twins at the time, um, I went on the set and she's like, something like, oh, you burp your, I can't remember what she said. She said something like, oh, honey, you might want to check. And she taps my shoulder and I look over my shoulder and down my back, I have dried vomit on oh. my suede jacket because I had been burping my son right before I went on the set. Right. Sexy. So I'm going on the set. Sexy and I know it with vomit down my back. And um, Lisa, thank God, was a little like, honey, you might want to. Oh, you got it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I'm playing like the perfect girlfriend for Joey, and I got vomit on my back during rehearsal. It, it's, uh, yeah, people don't, didn't, they didn't see that outtake. <laughs> but I did take the curtain call um, with Braxton as a three month baby. Um, uh, the curtain call for friends with my son because <laughs> he was awake and I was like, okay, babe, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He, he doesn't, he doesn't know it, how cool it was that Jennifer Aniston and Courtney and all of them were cooing over him and how cute he was. He has no idea how like cool that is <laughs> right in our generation. That is huge. He's just like, well, I think he thinks it's cool because friends is, is still cool. It's still considered a cool show. Right. Right. Yeah. But I want to be like, dude, you got bragging rights. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. In yeah. his generation, that's really not bragging rights. In my generation, it is, right? <laughs> it's just cl- yeah, absolutely. It's his claim to fame. You know, he's a famous puker now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess if a YouTuber <laughs> loved him or something, that would be cooler than if Lisa and Jennifer and everybody right. were. <laughs> I, guess, I don't know. I see, look, I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Oh, man. Now, I got to say, on... um. When you were in uh, Falling Down with Michael Douglas in that one scene, which is perhaps the most famous scene from the film, and I will never forget that scene where you played Sheila, the girl behind the desk at the the counter at the Whammy Burger, and I just loved <laughs> your facial expressions and you, you know the smarmy attitude that you had. I, you know how much fun was it putting that scene together? Um, it was incredibly fun because uh, originally I'd read for Joel Schumacher for a show called Malibu 2000. And he really loved my performance, but he said, you know, listen, I'm going to go with this other actress, and but I really want to work with you. So I'm going to give you the small role I have in this film called Falling Down. And I was like, oh, OK. So he just gave it to me. Who, guess who, who of course, got Malibu 2000 was an, a little actress called Drew Barrymore. Yeah, that shit happened to me all the time, okay? <laughs> Between her and Patricia Arquette, et cetera, et cetera. They all were getting things over me, but it's okay. It's all it's all fun. It's all literally, honestly, the way I look at that is let the better woman or man or they get the damn role, right? If they're better than me, then yeah, give it to them, right? Right. And then what happened was Drew got that, but then I got this small role, which there's no such thing as a small role, only a small actor, in Falling Down. He let me bring whatever I wanted to that role because it was written very flat, just, you know, just he wanted breakfast and I wasn't going to give it to him, and nor was Rick, the manager. Yeah. What I did because of my training, I decided that Sheila was like, Bonnie waiting for her Clyde to walk in to the Whammy Burger. Every day she waits for Clyde to come save her and take her away. You know, a Calgon take me away. She's waiting for Clyde to take her away from Whammy Burger, right? So that's what I was playing is that Sheila is just, you know, she's too hot for Whammy Burger, but she can't find a way to get out. So when this guy comes in, who's cute, she starts flirting with him and then he pulls out a gun. That's her Clyde. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's her Clyde, you know? So, the scene is originally written when he pulls out the gun. Everybody, everybody, uh, my character yells, he's got a gun, and everybody hits the floor. But what I did, because I scored it differently, 
<laughs> I I said, oh, Eddie's got a gun. So everybody hits the floor, but Sheila almost goes over the counter to like rape him, attack him, right? And Michael Douglas looked at me, my character, and was like, what? <laughs> right? Joel Schumacher started laughing so hard. They loved it. So they we they printed it. But here's the problem. When we filmed that, let's backtrack a month before that. The day we were supposed to film that scene downtown Los Angeles was the exact day that the riots broke out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I was waiting for my set call to go downtown. And when the riots broke out, I was watching TV and I was like, I called the first AD. I said, dude, we're not going to go down there. He goes, well, at this point we are. I said, have you watched the TV? World War Three is going on. We're not going down there. And I drive a Bronco, dude. Uh, you know, it's a red Bronco, but it's a Bronco. I, what are you talking about? So, of course, an hour later, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to cancel filming. I'm like, you think? <laughs> so the riots, yeah, the riots happened. A month later, we went down there. Now, the whole temperature of our community changed overnight with the riots. So we went back to film with the National Guard surrounding the production down there. The the smolder, I mean, this, the town was still smoldering. Buildings were down, burnt to the ground. The sadness was just permeated through the air. I mean, it was just devastating to be down there filming the scene, which ironically, if you think about the movie falling down, it's about that same very thing. Right. So there was kind of a sadness with us, but yet I gave Sheila what she needed. But then when Joel put the movie together, he said it just felt disrespectful to have it be funny during that time. So we had to cut that part out. Had oh, we had not had the riots, that scene would have played a little differently, it would have been a little lighter, a little more absurd. Right. But it was just disrespectful to L.A. after what happened. Um, but see, there's a little background with falling down and that particular scene. Um I went down probably six months later with a long white Vivian West um, gown and did a photo shoot in a, in a blackened burnt down building trying to represent hope Um, because being down there right after the riots, it was uh, profoundly uh, sad, just sad. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of what happened with falling down. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I had yeah. no idea. And it's it's yeah. funny because it's still an iconic scene. And yeah. it would have it would have been different if you had you know, if they were able to keep that in, but uh yeah, I can see why they why they didn't. That's unbelievable. Yeah, because even though it was about a year later when we the film was released, it still, believe it or not, I don't think it did as well as it could have. Had it still was a little soon. I think people were still were it was still a little soon. It was still a little hard you know because i personally not because i was in the mood but i think that was definitely michael michael douglas's like probably right up to one of his best performances and the whole film and all uh, the actors in it right all the actors it's such a it's such a great film yeah it's just right. and it's insane it's the bowels of la and the insanity of it all right 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 <laughs> and that whole moment where he's like i'm the bad guy you know yeah yeah ex- <laughs> that's exactly it right it's just wow yeah yeah that's yeah. crazy the irony of that you know, and you've got a lot of compassion, obviously, you know, you like to help people. And I I read that as you were a kid, you liked rescuing animals. So does that sort of inform who you are today when you were doing that as a kid? Uh, I might have a few rescues as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> when I didn't have kids, I had wall to wall rescues. It didn't matter what it was, reptiles, whatever. I <laughs> rescue anything and people and a few men in my day, but the thinning and marry them. I'm sorry. Anyway, so um, I, yeah, I, I, and my, yeah, I'm notorious for when I'm driving down the street and there's, I don't know, family of ducks running down 
Ventura Boulevard in the Valley, I'm going to pull over and flush into the side because, you know, I'm not going to drive around that. That's just crazy. They're going to get hit. I'm also known for pulling over and grabbing dogs who are running through the traffic find if see if they're chipped or get their you know tags and i go tie them to their front door leave a note saying hi found your dog running around the 405 freeway can you check your can you check your gates (laughs) and they have no idea it was me so yeah because this is like what i do and my boys since they were little they're like oh god we're pulling over again mom has to go or at least it's a minimum flush the dog or cat or whatever right out from the road so it doesn't get hit if I can't catch it to try to rescue it. I'm notorious for that. I've rescued wildlife, deer, seals. I used to rescue seals. That's actually a very dangerous thing. Um, tarantulas, um, deer, snakes, it doesn't matter. I'll, if it, it's hurt or wounded, I'd pull over and save it, even though I found out it's illegal to do that in L.A. without a wildlife license. Oh, jeez. So if you just if you see me saving like a snake on the side of the road, just keep driving. Yeah, just we'll keep look driving. The other way. <laughs> yeah, I'm, usually what I do is pull the snake to the side and, and let it go, it burrow itself in a hole, so it can either heal or leave its body in a place and not keep getting nailed by a car. It's just more out of respect for the soul of the snake. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like oh, that, yeah. that's not. Take a minute and go let the thing go, either heal or leave its body in a way that's just not tragic and traumatizing right i mean if that soul is going to continue on to another life form it's going to be messed up if it keeps getting hit by cars is the way i see it (laughs) so i'm going to go help it out a little bit it takes a minute you know the boys are usually in the car they're think they're like okay there she goes again but guess what (laughs) now i have two boys that are really compassionate they're really compassionate yeah that's good. And we're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, yeah. <laughs> Turn them. They don't know if I'm turning them into very good boys. Young men. They're going to be, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> can't, we, tell them, can't tell them doing that because then they repel. They repel against you because you're the parent. You don't know anything. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right? We had, um, yeah. we had Burt Ward on the show recently. He played Robin on the Batman TV series. And him and his wife for the last 22 years have been rescuing uh, dogs. They've rescued over like 15,500 dogs. It's crazy. Uh, who, who is this? I'm sorry. Burt Ward. He played Robin on the Batman TV series. Oh, wow. What a great human. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I do. I'm single. I do it on my own. And I do recruit my boys when I, you know, we had a, my, we had a baby um, possum. Wow. in the house it was so cute now <laughs> let me tell you really hard to find a way to, to remove it from one's house and then bring it back outside where to find its mama so that's what a rain boot is good for i put the rain boot on its side yeah flushed it into the rain boot and then brought the boot outside with it inside and then it went and then it went and found its mom it's so cute wow. though and there but it's funny check this out i come into the house i hear the cat Cat clearly brought it in. The rescue cat from the kill shelter, of course. So the rescue cat from the kill shelter goes and grabs a baby possum. And I run into the room, turn the light on because they hurt me on. And I go, oh, my God. And then all of a sudden, I look. It looks dead. I run. Boys, we have a baby possum. It's dead. In the living room. Oh, my God. And they come in. They go, Mom, it's plain possum. It's not dead. And I look. I go, look. And sure enough, the little fart gets up. So I go, oh, my God. <laughs> Wow. That was that was a good one. I was like, I was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> that That's was a good so one. funny. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, I just think it's Mother Earth, and you know, anytime you can do even like a little teeny random act of kindness when it comes to Mother Earth's creatures, whether it's a plant or I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, flies. I do take them out. They they have to be swatted. They they don't belong in here. No. Right, flies. Right. I will have to. Yeah, flies. Eh, sorry about that soul, but it's right. going. <laughs> My poor grandson cries when he sees a fly because he thinks it's going to kill him, and I'm like, he's not going to hurt you. <laughs> Not- <laughs> well, you know, if it didn't like lay nasty eggs and stuff and gnats or whatever the lar- whatever that is that they do in my cat food, it's like oh, then yeah. I let them. I'd be like, fine, but no, you don't go land on the dog poo and then come in here and land on my counter. That's right. not okay. <laughs> like now, I have to remove you or you're going to get swatted. It's, it's up to you. Man, we have choices in life. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> get out. <laughs> <laughs> So um, on a different note, my, my understanding is that this is not a source of embarrassment for you. So I feel comfortable asking you, how did your um, Playboy pictorial come about? At that time, I was on an interracial show, which was rare. I don't think there was one, actually. We were on NBC for a minute um, leading. We were leading for Mad About You and or afterwards. We were right before or after Mad About You, which was the number one show at the time. And we were doing right. really well. And it was the first show that was an interracial show. It was basically Friends. But with couples and interracial, we had, you know, blacks, white, Latinos, the whole thing in there. And I was so proud to be part of that show. I was like, oh, my God. And then we got booted from NBC. It's a long story. But WB picked us up and we had a life on WB, which thank you, WB. Awesome. (laughs) And so we were kicking and doing a really great job. And then the show I knew was coming to an end. And at that time, I really thought, oh, God, what am I going to do with my life, my career? I, I need something to lift up my I need like a facelift in my career. At that point. Again, as actors, you didn't really do Playboy. I mean, a, a few did, like Kim Baskinger did, and I think maybe one or two other ones. But generally speaking, you didn't do that. Right. So what do you think I did? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to have to do Playboy because you're not supposed to. So, <laughs> But I said, if I'm going to do it, I want to make a, a point. So I said I would do it, but you have to show my tattoos. At that point, Hep does not like tattoos. And at that point, no, no, anybody in Playboy, nobody was able to was allowed to show their tattoos. They cover them with makeup or airbrush them. I said, okay. if I'm going to do it, then I'm going to be me. I have tattoos. I'm inked and you got to show my tattoos. No airbrushing them. Also, I want to do it instead of giving me a prop to be naked with. I'd rather do it with a naked black man wow. because we got to break down. Yeah, we got to break down all this like color racial stuff. And I was like, we are all beautiful people, all all skin colors. And if I'm going to be bare ass naked, let, let me be bare ass naked with a naked man who's black of color. And that's how that came around. And I was the first person in the Playboy to ever do that. And there's no man in Playboy, let alone a naked man, let alone a naked black man. So I wanted to be the first one to do that because of the point I was making, um, that we're all just beautiful, you know, and it's just the color of our skin, the pigmentation of your skin. right? Right. Although now considering what's going on in our country, the color of your skin actually has different meaning. and, And so I'm kind of, Looking back, really proud that I that I did that. Um, times were different then than they are now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get political re- because I'm not allowed to. My voice won't let me. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but let's just say I'm really proud to have um done that that layout. People are like, oh, but you have boys. I said, trust me, they don't look at it. They don't they they don't look at that. That's they're like, ew. They don't even watch my show because they think it's weird that their mother's on TV. Let alone go look at my Playboy. Are you kidding me? I'm like, they don't. They just keep as far away from that shit as possible. Right. You know? Yeah. They're they're like, but I want them to know that this is these are our bodies and they're beautiful, right? It's it it's and they they know why I did it. I told them exactly why I did it. But then I got pregnant with Braxton by the time it came out. So I didn't do the correct, quote, unquote, publicity for it. So it didn't really ever get explosive like it should have, which is fine. That's okay. I didn't do it to be loud necessarily. I just wanted to do it because 
I liked the message that I was um, uh, supporting. Right. You know? Yeah. And you're just so bold in so many things that you do. That's that's incredible. Which is weird because I'm actually kind of really shy deep down inside. I think yeah. I'm always fighting against that shyness is what it is. So I go, the pendulum swings the other way. Yeah. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I got to tell you, really inside, I'm kind of really shy. Like I look back and go, I did Playboy. What the heck? Was I drunk? Oh, yeah, I was. That's right. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm not sure if I do it now. Now I'm sober. <laughs> yeah, because now I'm in my right mind. Although I'm not, but I'm not, not but I'm proud of it. You, you know, but I, yeah, I had a drink to do it. You'll have to have a coffee, cup of coffee with you if you do it now. <laughs> I had two kids. And like I said, I like chips and ice cream now. I don't think you want to see all this. <laughs> no, I don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I got to say, one of the things that you did that my, both my son and I loved was the episode of um, uh, Supernatural called Jump the Shark. And, uh, oh, yeah. When I told yeah. him you were coming on the show, he's like, oh, my God, she was she was uh, Adam's mom in Supernatural. And I'm like, how did you? He like got it like right off the top of his head when he saw your picture. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. No, there's this whole generation of, of, of kids and people who love that show who remember it. Dude, I can barely remember doing it. I remember having blood in my mouth, and I think I bit, bit the lead actor. I think I bit his face. What did I do? <laughs> I th- I Ask think yourself you did. what I did. Yeah, right. I remember going because remember I sexed up all my roles back then, right? I was always I always had a sexual tone, yeah. and I remember going, I don't think I should probably do that with this scene because I'm going to look like a big pervert. So I remember pulling back the element of sexuality when I went to go bite the lead actor, who I believe was a young kid at the time, right? And I'm thinking, right, man, was, you're going to come it was off like Jared Padalecki. Yeah, I was like, Dee Dee, I don't think we let, let's not let's leave that one out of this role. <laughs> it's probably safer, so that people don't go, she's a pervert. What's up with that? <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, that, it's funny how sometimes you do the you do your work and you just move on and then you think this is going to be the role that people are going to remember and it's generally rarely that it's like these other things that people go oh my god supernatural and you're like really and they're like yeah I love doing that you're like oh my god that's crazy I know yeah. <laughs> you would think you starred in the show and it was just one yeah. episode <laughs> I did like independent movies that got like um, awards and nominations and all this and they're like yeah yeah we like they push that stuff aside and they, you know they they like other stuff that um, but I will tell you this so what when I do my work, I approach every single solitary uh, job and, and role that I do as if um, I'm getting a million dollars for it. It doesn't matter the paycheck or if it's a little independent or a big studio thing or a major network show, whatever. I approach it the same. I give it 1,000% of everything I got um, because um, – it, well, yeah, it's like, well, it's, it's not to my boys. I don't care what you do in life. Just if you really love what you're doing, you're going to give a thousand percent to it. Exactly. So that's kind of, so you have to discover what that is for you. Right. Um, yeah, just, yeah. And you may have to look at me. I mean, I, I did every job known to mankind as a as a young <laughs> child labor child. <laughs> um, and then, you know, acted for 30 plus years, went to school for 10 years. <laughs> that that was, I didn't mean to go for 10 years. It just took me that long. Yeah. And then now I'm back to acting, you know? So it's like, I, you never know what mother earth and the universe has in store for you. Right. Just right. kind of, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So speaking of what the universe has in store for you, uh, 2010, you took a break from acting and you really transformed your life. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, real quick, back in the day, um, at that time, raising two young boys on my own, still am, but now they're teenagers, but um, yeah. I, I felt like 
I felt like I was so loyal to an industry that wasn't really that loyal back to me. Jobs were thin. When I was hired, it was like no money. The babysitter was getting paid more than me, you know, and, and I, I wasn't even qualifying for insurance for my children. And there was just like this whole thing. And then women, as women were aging, we were getting less roles. Men were aging and being somehow the pot belly, gray hair and wrinkles were sexy. We pulled that shit. We were unemployed. Right. And I just remember thinking, what message is this sending to my, my boys, you know, and I, and I've always loved to want to help people. Like I said, I was always saving people and animals and men. So at that point, I said, <laughs> let's, let's go get a degree. Let's just take a break and go get a degree. And I didn't really like what was going on in the world when it comes to social welfare issues. I thought, wow, the world's kind of going in this funky direction and I wanted to help. So I literally thought I could go to college and get a degree in like a year or two because I had not a clue what I was doing. I clearly, I went to a community college, was like, hey, I want to get a degree. And they're like, hey, what degree? I go, I don't know. And they're like, what do you mean you don't know? I go, you tell me. And they're like, that's not how this works. You tell us. <laughs> and I said, well, I want to help people. They go, a psych degree? I said, okay, that works. So I just started classes for a psych degree, but I quickly discovered I had learning disabilities through the community college amazing, amazing professors and the disabilities department. They helped me um, uh, uh, figure out that I had learning disabilities. I thought in school that I was just dumb as a doorknob. It's always put in the stupid group, you know, with Bobby who ate paste. Right. <laughs> right? And so I went to college and they're like, actually, you're very smart. You just have learning disabilities. Once they were detected, I was, they gave me um, extra help. Like I got, you know, note taker, extra time for tests in a room by myself so I could talk to the test because that somehow helped me think, you right. know, like, yell at the test that's a stupid question what do you mean what's the peripheral nervous system due to the what does that even mean you know and i have to yell at the test and somehow the answer in my thick brain but i got i started getting a's a's you know got pell grants you know um cal cal what do they call the grants you know because i got good grades my self-esteem and all of a sudden i look over my boys and had them assessed they had the same learning disabilities we got them assessed and they got also extra help and so, yeah, the academic journey went from kind of painful and hard to, hey, this is workable once if you just need a little help, you know, right. and be okay with that. So um, I also needed a lot of prerequisites because I didn't understand why two plus X equals five wasn't a typo. I was like, why is there an X in there? That's a typo, right? And they're like, no, that's algebra. I'm like, what the fuck is that? So, excuse my language. But, you know, they were like, oh, Lord. So and thesis statement, they said, here, write write about this like i don't know they stupidly asked me to write about something which is now i realize is prompt i wrote three pages and one big fat sentence no punctuation a lot of opinion running around in there <laughs> um they were like wow there's no structure to this she's rambling all over the place um so i had a lot of prerequisites <laughs> to even get to my aa like right now, the kids are all set up for that. I was, they were like, wow. Okay. So I had tons of prerequisites just to get, and mind you, I couldn't go full time at any time because I had two kids that needed to get to school from school, Taekwondo, piano, blah, blah, blah. So right. I had to spread it out. Long story short, it took two years to get my bachelor's of psych, uh, 10 years to get my bachelor's of psych and my master's of social work. But let me back for a minute. In the two-year degree at UCLA. And I only got to UCLA through going through the community college route, I might add. And, and all of the help I got from phenomenal people. I highly recommend doing that. Wow. Very little to no, no, yeah, little to no debt when you get there. And the education was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, you, you know what it is? You get out what you put into it. That's right. it. 
Exactly. That, that's what that's with life. It's not just school. That's with anything, right? Yeah. So, um, and I also kind of want to show my boys by doing, not saying that at any age, and I was way in my 40s, you could go to college and and literally like get off the 405 and get on the 10 freeway. Just go a whole different <laughs> direction, right? You can do that. It's scary. It's no one's business, but right. you. But it's doable. Yeah. And so, and I didn't know it was going to take me ten years. Trust me. Thank God I didn't know because I would not have never have done it. I, if you said it's going to take you ten years, I would have said, "Oh hell no!" But right. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it. I learned so much more about myself. And you know what else? That two year master's program I took a year off. So my two years master's program took three years because I took a year off to get sober. Oh, finally, in my life, yeah, finally in my fifties. I had to come to the realization that I was a high, high functioning alcoholic and I had to address it. And I was really only marginally at the best effective to help other people, including my own children. And, you know, as a person, as a whole, as long as I'm still in my disease, you know, and I had to address it. And I'm now almost three years sober. And I got to tell you, I was so scared thinking life couldn't be, you know, good without drinking. And it is. It's you've got to find your sober legs. That's all. It's it's yeah. like being a, an embryo. And that is scary. And you do have to start over. I had I just constantly work on old ways of thinking, behaving and feeling, you right. know, and um, at the at the end of the day, alcoholism um, does run in my family. So. I'm the only one in my immediate family with an addiction, but I'm talking about my, my, my grandparents on both sides of the family, my mom's side, my dad's side. So there's you know 50, 50 shot that my children might end up, unfortunately, uh, with this disease. And I want to show them what sobriety looks like. I want to show them that, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, um, the waters are okay over here and you have good days and bad days, but guess what? That's life as a normie. Normies who don't have a disease or an addiction have good days and bad days. So being somebody in recovery is no different except for the good days are a lot better than those dark ones when you're using. Let me tell you, there's right. no comparison. So I want to be a soft landing if they ever need help. That's well, all I can you. do. Yeah. Stay in my lane and be here to show them what it looks like. Show them what it looks like, you know, to um, take on your disease by the huevoses. <laughs> you can you can speak freely on the show <laughs> by the balls, right? There you go. <laughs> That's right. You're from the East Coast. You're not afraid of language. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've been in New York cabs before. Y'all like drop that f bomb. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh man. Well, good for you. That's amazing. And so you came out the other end, and and now you're a social worker along with being an actor and a mom. How do you juggle all that? Well, I'm not actively working as a social worker because I just got back from Canada. We were in Canada doing Big Sky for nine months, and we uh, we started Big Sky. Literally, like we were, we got we went to New Mexico, started pre-production, got one day of filming when everybody was sent home from the pandemic. Everyone went home, we shut down, and then months later. We resurfaced and said, we're going to continue, but now we're in Canada. So then we went to Canada and, and did nine months of, for the first season. And we just got back about a week or two ago. And we're now in hiatus. We've got our second season pickup. Woohoo! Nice. Woo Good for you. Yeah. So I haven't, because I graduated, check this out. I graduated when I was filming the pilot. Wow. So I didn't get my degree, but there was an overlap of when I was working, I was working my internship my last year. Um, I had no idea how I was going to survive, to be honest with you. I sold my house to pay off all my debt from <laughs> education. It's not cheap. <laughs> right. And then I, there I was in my last 
my last year, my master's, uh, interned at departmental health, and I know the social workers' uh, um, salary for a year is like fifty thousand before taxes. So it, it's not a lot in LA at all to live to raise two boys um, on at all. And I had no idea how I was going to make it work. I just knew I had to keep my eyes on recovery, on sobriety, on helping people and um, put one foot in front of the other when it comes to the next right indicated action in my life. Remember my truth. Um, Remember that relapse is always there and it's an option if I choose and I'm choosing every day, at least right now, not to do that. Right. Um, Again, because I have a lot at stake and then out of nowhere, again, I have no idea how I'm going to survive as a social worker. And all of a sudden my brother-in-law, David Kelly, texts me. Listen, you know, Roger, dude, the guy never texts me. He never texts me. Oh. We don't have that kind of relationship. We're a very close family, but we're very big family, very busy family. We see each other on the holidays, right? Right, right. He never texts me. I get this text out of nowhere and says, hey, D, are you still acting? I have a really, gr- I think I have a really great role for you in this new show I'm doing. <laughs> I was like, what? I was dropped my phone. And I was, I looked at it and I read it and I reread it and I read it and I reread it and I read it again. I read it again. <laughs> what? The, I, 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 I was like, you know, the Y E S S S S S S S S. Yeah, it was one of those. That's awesome. And yeah, and I literally like started crying and I called my sister. I said, what the heck? I said, did he just offer me a role? And she goes, yeah, I've known for months. I haven't told you because, you know, he had to get, you know, the, he has to like get everything. Okay. But I still had to read. I mean, he offered me the role, but I still had to read for the network because they hadn't seen me in 10 years. They had no idea what I look like. Right? Right. <laughs> I could have grown a third eye as far as I knew. <laughs> so I had to read for Denise to ensure that they saw the vision as well with David. Um, and what David did and he didn't realize he threw me a lifeline at a time in need he had no idea he threw me a lifeline because yeah 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 so i was able to finish my degree of course via zoom because now you know everybody got yanked from their internships and yanked from this from ucla no one was out yeah so i finished my um degree online via zoom and then uh, at this at basically overlapping, um, doing the show in Canada. So I am there, So now I'm an actress with a degree and one day I'm hoping to bridge the two together and help people on a larger scale nice. is my dream is my dream. One day. I'd love to do that. I have to figure out how that works. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got to figure that one out. Right. It's a little hiccup, a little hiccup. <laughs> and, and so what did you bring to the role of Denise? I gave her all of my set skills that I learned as Dee Dee Pfeiffer. I made Denise sober. If you notice in the every scene, she's got that big burgundy coffee mug. Yes. It's because she pounds coffee like me. If you're going to start seeing more things around her desk, that kind of like one day at a time, jump, get, stay in your own lane. These are all things that AA uses and people who are s- sober use. Um I, I have a story. I'm not my story. I mean, all these like things, I'm going to start pulling that more into Denise. I use her uh, social worker skills that I learned when it comes to being a hard listener, right. hard listening. Um, she is a team player. You know, this isn't, and Dylan Hoy, it's a lot of women, a lot of women in there. Yeah. And so there's that dynamic. And I haven't been on a multidisciplinary team for, um, LA Family Housing, working with the homeless, my last year internship, I learned what that looked like to leave space for everybody's strengths. And then, and when, when do you stay out of their lane, let them take the lead 
or do, when do you jump in? Because you have, for instance, when you're uh, when you're working with somebody who's experiencing homelessness, and you have a multidisciplinary team, one working with substance use, one with mental health, one's a peer advocate, one's an intern, and one's a supervisor. Everyone's all different colors, ethnicities, and job titles. Whoever respond, whoever responds the best to that person is the one who needs to approach them and build the bond, period. Right. That's just the way it works. You have to come to where they're at. And I feel that Denise does that with all the women in the office. She comes to where they're at. Oh, she's definitely a force. I mean, you can see it, you know, bubbling under the surface. And when the when the need arises, that's when she really kind of, you know, springs into action. Yeah, yeah. And um, mediator, mama bear, yep. I have to call her rock with all the butterflies flying around her. Right. <laughs> she's the rock where the butterfly gets to land, you know, take a breath, reset the button and take off again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So can uh-huh. you describe to the audience what the show is about if people haven't seen it yet? Yeah. First of all, if you haven't seen it yet, you need to get on Hulu or one of those places and, and binge it. It's a good binging show. Although, like I said, I don't really binge shows, but I hear it's a fantastic show to binge <laughs> because every episode has a cliffhanger for the most part. For the most, We're like the cliffhanger king and queens. Nice. It's about two detectives, unlikely uh, people who end up together because of a mutual guy. <laughs> <laughs> and and let's just say two detectives and they go on uh, in the first uh, bottle. It's a bottleneck show, meaning there's they come from CJ Box books. The first one was The Highway. And then the second one, which now is The Client Officers, is his other book called Badlands, I think. Oh, God, I'm going to get fired. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Okay, it's a, it's another CJ Box book. We love CJ Box. He's amazing. Oh, my God, I can't remember. I forget the name of the... I want to say Highlander. Anyways, what happens is <laughs> the girls bring you through this journey of sex trafficking and all of these colorful people in Montana and, and uh, crazy, crazy, uh, high-state, emotionally charged situations with colorful characters in the first half season and the second half season, they bridge you into another storyline of these, the client saucers, which is very dysfunctional family. (laughs) That's an understatement with the through line of some, some pivotal characters from the first storyline bleed into the second storyline. And that will continue on with each season. So you have like these unsolved mystery. That's kind of like, like, the gum on the bottom of your shoe. You're just like, you can't shake it. And you're not sure if you want to. Like Ronald is the gum on the bottom of your shoe. You just can't get them. <laughs> can't get them off. Can't get them, you know? So, and it's, this show is jam-packed with phenomenal actors. We have so many different, literally different colorful characters, um, ethnicities, um, sexual identities, uh, trans, uh, girls of color, lots of strong women, men who are strong and messed up, women yeah. who are messed up. Um, it's a very colorful cast. We have the older pop. I love is we have newcomers. We have those who are working actors. And then those of us who I like to call recycled, you know, we're like the oldies, but goodies that the parents and the, the older people in the generation go, Oh, I remember her from Simon and Simon, you know? Right. And then you have these new ones who are the new generation go, Oh my God, I loved her in whatever the new stuff is out there. Cause I've been in school for 10 years. I haven't seen anything, but you know what I mean? And then everything in between. Right. And yeah. then, of course, there's some people like Jesse James Keitel. This is her breakout role for sure. She's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, a lot of new people. But it's a show I think that has a, li- a lot of, a little bit of everything. And what I really like about Big Sky is that nobody is safe. And the pilot sets you up 
for that. Right. We jacked up everybody with the pilot because no one saw it coming. And I'm not going to say it in case people haven't yep. seen it. But let's just say this. The pilot sets up the fact that nobody's safe. And that includes Denise, I might add. On this show, you piss somebody off, they're going to write your ass out. and they just, It just makes for ratings. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> Well, that's incredible. And uh, it's it's a full season, right? What is it, like 22? It's going to be 22 episodes for the first season? Yeah, we just, uh, right now we're uh, we're airing the last chunk of the first season. Yeah, so then we're now in hiatus right now, and then we've got our second we got our second year pickup, which I think we go back in the end of June, July, August, to start the second season, which will which will be the a third CJ Box books. So for those who read all the CJ Box books, you're going to see the story. But then what I really love is the original one, like what David did, and now we have a new showrunner, Elwood. They're really creating, they're really making the color, the characters, which are already really colorful in the book, even more colorful and more contemporary. For instance, the lot lizard played by Jesse James Keitel is not trans in the book at all. And she dies. And she dies. She's dead. Boom. Sorry. You know, (laughs) and and yet in in David's version of CJ Box's book, um, um, it's a trans. And now and she lives, and now she's going after the guy who messed her up. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's great. Like, there's so there's all these little, there's these, uh, 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 and again, Cassie played by Kylie, amazing. She's, um, like, she's Caucasian and I think kind of frumpy in the book. And yet we got Kylie who's hot as hell and, you know, oh, yeah. a woman of color and just like <laughs> so special, you know, and Catherine's character is just like a blurb in the book. She's not like this huge lead. So it's like, you know, and Denise, she's just kind of like, she's there and she's definitely, you know, you, everybody were elevating the characters that CJ wrote, which were already amazing. We're just adding a little more color to them. Right. Was Did you say yeah. this was the Joe Pickett series of books? CJ Box. No, I know the author, but like, the, the, he's got two listings. He's got the Joe Pickett series and the Hoyt Duel series. Oh, it, it, yeah, it's um, it's um, um, sorry, Cassie, Cassie, Jenny. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. What was the second one you said? Uh, there was the Hoyt Duel. Was the second one? Duel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what the show's based on. Oh yeah, Duel and Hoyt. I'm sorry, I thought you were saying Duel and yeah. Hoyt. Yeah. D- Duel and Hoyt is the office that Denise, my character, works that's in. That's right. And yep. Yes, and it's the Duel and Hoyt. Um, and it's uh, I gotta say, I think this is just a damn good fun show. Um, but a lot of my friends go, I can't watch it because the girls get all like jacked up, and I can't handle like female abuse. I'm like, just wait, just just stop, <laughs> stop your whining, keep watching. Trust me, David E. Kelly and Elwood and Ross Feynman and all the producers on the show are not gonna let any of the women get beat up too bad before they turn around and <laughs> take care of business. <laughs> so you gotta let them get beat up a little bit so that they can come back from the, you know, come come back from that, right? Right. Right. You've got to want to root for them. So right. you got to get them in danger so they can get out. Right? Exactly. Exactly. It makes it great. And uh, I'm going to have to start reading these books because you've got The Bitter Roots, Badlands, Paradise Valley. Badlands. Yep. Badlands. So that's Thank what you're Badlands. into? Yeah. Well, the, the, the highway is the first bottleneck of the first half of the season. And then um, I think it was Badlands is the, is the client saucers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's great. Well, I definitely think people should check this out. You know, I've been watching it myself, and it, it's just really enjoyable. 
Yeah, and you know what's really crazy? We don't ever know. People go, oh, you know what's going on, don't you? I go, no, I really don't. None of us know what's going on until we get the script, which is generally a week or two before we film. Oh, that's we, good. And then, it, and then it can change. It changes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And sometimes it changes on the set while filming because I'll read the script and I'm not in the scene. And then I see it, you know, when it's finished, I go, what? When did they change that? You know? Um, so it's also a, a surprising show for even the cast for us. I never know who's going to die next. I promise you, everyone. And everyone thinks Denise is in on it. Everyone thinks she's shady. I love <laughs> that they think I'm shady as hell. My best friend thinks I'm in on it. My best friend, Roger, thinks I'm in on it. That's great. I'm like, honey, I'm not. I don't. Why am I? She's well, you're coming off shady, okay? You're coming off all shit. She's from New York. You're coming off shady, girl. I'm sorry. Everyone thinks you're in on it. I'm like, what? Well, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Unless the writers, they're, I don't know, you know. <laughs> She's like, I know. You're not telling me. Oh, my God. Super fun, right? That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it's such a great show, and I'm glad you got a second season, so that's good news. And, uh, man, you've had an amazing career thus far, and you've got so much more coming. Do you have any projects on the horizon? No. Right now I'm just trying to um, help my boys process the effects of having been isolated from well a year from the pandemic right and away and away from me um i'm helping them process their feelings and their mental wealth at this point um until we start up again that's all i'm really just dedicating my time trying to help them through this like i said we we, no one wrote the the playbook on this and everybody's been affected on some levels like you and i talked about before we started and my boys are no different i'm no different there has been effects and um just really trying to help them process all of this craziness and our new normal, whatever that looks like, and um, try to find the light in a lot of darkness that we've experienced. You know, just try to, yeah, that's be mama bear right now for a minute. Yeah. Right, right. And like so many things in life, it's one day at a time. It's the best you can do right now. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, some days it's easier, and other days it's like, oh Lord, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> well, ah. Didi, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an honor to have you on. And, you know, I'd love to have you back in the future at some point. Oh, my God. You have to have me back when we when we start with the new uh, with the new CJ Box book. And, we, and I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what the third one's going to be. How exciting is that? Excellent. Excellent. Well, definitely, yeah. Reach out and, you know, we'll connect and uh, get you back on the show. Beautiful. Absolutely. Or when you see the end of this next season, you're going to want me back. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. How's that for a tease? That is so cool. <laughs> Thank you so much. All righty. Well, we hope you enjoyed my interview with the lovely and talented Dee Dee Pfeiffer. Be sure to check out the films and shows that she's been in and share them with younger people. Remember, you can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. Then Is Now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please be sure to check out the other great shows there at thedorkening.com. You can also visit our website at havenpodcasts.com where you'll find our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies. And Then Is Now is on YouTube, so visit youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 to get the latest videos as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also share the video versions of our podcast with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. 
Now, don't forget to go wherever you download your podcast from. And if you like this episode, please leave us a great review so that more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed. Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. shows like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the dorkening.com